Let me give you uh, the second reading. I am using a translation that's called the easy-to-read version. I've been uh, using this uh, in chapel at Valley Christian School, and I am appreciating its uh, simplicity and clarity. Um, so hear the word of God from Acts 14. I'm going to read verses 1 through 20. Paul and Barnabas went to the city of Iconium. As they did in Antioch, they entered the Jewish synagogue. They spoke to the people there. They spoke so well that many Jews and Greeks believed what they said, but some of the Jews did not believe. They said things that caused the non-Jewish people to be angry and to turn against the believers. So Paul and Barnabas stayed in Iconium a long time, and they spoke bravely for the Lord. They told the people about God's grace. The Lord proved that what they said was true by causing miraculous signs and wonders to be done through them. But some of the people in the city agreed with the Jews who did not believe Paul and Barnabas. Others followed the apostles. So the city was divided. Some of the Jews there, as well as their leaders, and some of the non-Jewish people were determined to hurt Paul and Barnabas. They wanted to stone them to death. When Paul and Barnabas learned about this, they left the city. They went to Lystra and Derbe, cities in uh, Lycaonia, and to the surrounding areas. They told the good news there, too. In Lystra... There was a man who had something wrong with his feet. He had been born crippled and had never walked. He was sitting and listening to Paul speak. Paul looked straight at him and saw that the man believed God could heal him. So Paul shouted, stand up on your feet. The man jumped up and began walking around. When the people saw what Paul did, they shouted in their own Lycaonian language. They said, the gods have come down to us in the form of humans. The people began to call Barnabas Zeus, and they called Paul Hermes because he was the main speaker. The temple of Zeus was near the city. The priest of this temple brought some bulls and flowers to the city gates. The priest And the people wanted to offer a sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. But when the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, understood what the people were doing, they tore their own clothes. They ran in among the people and shouted to them, Men, why are you doing this? We are not gods. We are humans, just like you. We came to tell you the good news. We are telling you to turn away from these worthless things. Turn to the true living God, the one who made the sky, the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them. In the past, God let all the nations do what they wanted, but God was always there doing the good things that prove that he is real. He gives you rain from heaven and good harvest at the right times. He gives you plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even after saying all this, Paul and Barnabas still could hardly stop the people from offering sacrifices to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and persuaded the people to turn against Paul. So they threw stones at him and dragged him out of the town. 
They thought that they had killed him. But when the followers of Jesus gathered around him, he got up, went back into the town. The next day, he and Barnabas left and went to the city of Derby. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you uh, be present uh, in the reading of your word. We thank you that your word uh, is true, that it's reliable, uh, that it teaches us, that it instructs us uh, regarding what it is that you would have us do. Lord, we pray this this morning as we look into these uh, accounts of, of what happened there in Paul's first missionary journey, we pray that you would speak to us in the way that we need uh, to hear this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just to remind you of where we are, we are still in the first uh, missionary journey of Paul. This uh, missionary journey began uh, back in Antioch uh, on the mainland. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, well, it was Saul at that time. Saul and Barnabas were ordained uh, by the church in Antioch and sent out uh to proclaim the word. This was the first time in the history of the church uh, that Christians had gone out from the home church uh, to explicitly uh, proselytize people in new cities. The gospel before this time had spread organically, uh, people traveling, people moving from city to city, bringing the good news of the gospel with them. But with Paul and Barnabas, we have a change in the strategy of the church and an intentional sending uh, of missionaries uh, out uh, into the larger world. And so Paul and uh, Barnabas first go to Cyprus. Uh, they preach there. Uh, they leave Cyprus uh, and they go back to the mainland. They go to another city that's also called Antioch. This is a little bit confusing because there are two Antiochs uh, uh, in the ancient world. This second Antioch they go to is known as Antioch Pisidia. Um, and two weeks ago, uh, we read in chapter 13 uh, the sermon that the Apostle Paul delivers there at Antioch Pisidia. Uh, that sermon is very important to read and to understand. It's the earliest recorded uh, sermon of the Apostle Paul. It gives us a really clear idea of how uh, Paul explained his message uh, uh, to, to the people, uh, and we have a, 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 a large presentation of the gospel there in one sermon. Okay, now from there... Uh, he he's persecuted. He and he and Barnabas have to escape. They go to Iconium. In Iconium, there are death threats, uh, and then they head off to Lystra. And at Lystra, Paul is in fact stoned. Uh, you know, which is essentially a lynch mob. Uh, people would uh, throw uh, stones uh, at at the victim, uh, intending to kill this person. They they left Paul for dead. Turns out. Uh, he's not dead. So that's a little bit of, of the historical context of, of where we are. Now, in the previous chapter, in chapter 13, we heard Paul preach. Um, what we probably have there is an outline of Paul's stump speech, his standard introduction of the gospel into a new city. You remember that he begins by going first to the synagogue. He preaches first in the synagogue. 
And in the synagogue, he begins by explaining uh, the history of the covenants with the people of God, uh, how God uh, established his covenant with Abraham and how that covenant was uh, sustained and supported down through the generations. The culmination of this uh, covenantal relationship is in the monarchy of King David. Um, and then Paul leaps directly from David's monarchy to King Jesus. Now, during the the time in between those two periods, of course, uh, the things are not well for the people of God. Things are not well in the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Uh, the people are longing for a Messiah. They're looking for uh, someone to restore the throne of David. And uh, Paul makes it very clear from 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 the prophets that that the fulfillment of this messianic promise is in Jesus. Jesus is crucified. Jesus is resurrected. Um, and that's the, that's the covenantal and the historical background to Paul's preaching. Paul places the story of Jesus in the context of God's larger story uh, with his people. But uh, allow me now to read for you. This is Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. Because in those two verses, we have the theological content uh, of the sermon. Uh, and I think, you know, what we have here in Scripture, of course, is just uh, the the merest summary, the, the kind of the headline or the outline of what Paul would have explained of uh, at length, but let me read those verses for you so that you can have them in the back of your mind. Paul writes, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, that through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Okay. So this is the new piece of the gospel. Everything that had been explained up to then really was a, a review of what God um, had been doing with God's people uh, in times past. But now there's this new piece of information that in Jesus Christ, God accomplishes for his people something that the law can't. The law is wonderful because the law instructs us in how we're to live. If we live according to the law, our lives go well. The problem is, is that we don't live according to the law. All of us have violated the law. And with that violation comes uh, comes God's judgment and God's punishment. And so the law can only bring us a judgment and punishment, even though it's useful in terms of instruction. But with Jesus Christ, something different is offered, uh, forgiveness is offered, um, and freedom uh, from the punishment that's been offered in the law. So that's Paul's uh, core uh, message. And, and he brings that message, first of all, to the Jews. Um, they reject the message uh, there in the synagogue at Antioch. And Paul then says, well, if you don't want to hear it, uh, we're going to bring this message to the Gentiles as well, because since the very beginning, God's promise uh, is that uh, that the blessings to the Jews is going to go out to the Gentiles as well, that he's going to raise up worshipers from all of the nations. What we read in chapter 14 this morning 
uh, and the rest of the of the chapter will continue in this same vein, is a series of little stories or vignettes uh, about uh, subsequent uh, uh, visits to cities and preaching that Paul does. We don't know exactly how much time is covered by these two little stories uh, that we that we read, um, but we are getting little stories about the progress of this missionary uh, journey. Uh, the stories are historical. Uh, the 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 details in the story are are reliable and and helpful. Um, but the story is more than just history. Uh, the stories are also reveal something about the character of God and the character of men. Now, those two kinds of revelation, a revelation of the character of God and revelation of the character of man, is a, a, a common feature in all of Scripture. What Scripture teaches us about mostly is who God is, but then the second thing it teaches about, us about is who we are. Okay, and so we're going to see that uh, in these in these you know little historical stories as well. What we what we're seeing in these two little accounts are um, the reaction of people, ordinary people, people like us, to the gospel. Okay, and there, there are going to be a couple of reactions that we see here, and the, these reactions are recorded for us in Scripture, not simply because they're, I don't know, historical curiosities or because uh, we're interested in in this newspaper account. These reactions are recorded for us because they are an instructive warning to anybody who now reads the Acts of the Apostles. Because in the behavior of these people, we can see the behavior of ourselves and the behavior of our own hearts. Okay, So as we uh, take a look at these passages a little bit closer, uh, we need to be listening for, well, where would I have been in this story? Which character uh, is most like my character in this story. Now, also uh, in the section that we read from chapter 14, there is some new information uh, that Paul is giving, a new revelation uh, about um, uh, how God is going to be dealing with the Gentiles. Most of scripture is concerned with how God deals with God's people. God has a covenantal relationship with a people Okay, before Jesus, that covenantal relationship was with the descendants of Abraham. After Jesus, uh, that covenantal relationship continues with the descendants of Abraham, but the church is grafted into those promises. Now, there are a lot of people who are not included in that covenant community. And uh, in the passage that we read this morning, there is some instruction about how God is going to be dealing with those people as well. Okay, God's plan of salvation is not just for the covenant community. It is for the larger world. The good news is not just for the church. The good news is not just for the Jews. The good news is also for pagans uh, who are outside of the church. Okay, And so uh, Paul gives us new uh, insight into how God um, will affect that. Now, the next thing I want to say before I turn uh, actually to a close analysis of, of the text is that there are three categories of reaction to the word and to the sign uh, that the apostles bring 
the, the preaching of the word is accompanied by signs and wonders, by miracles, we would call them. Um, and there are three different reactions that we see uh, from the people. The first reaction is that the people hear the word, they see the signs, they understand the word, and they believe the word, and then worship God. Okay, so that, that's the first possible reaction. That's the best possible reaction. The second reaction is, is that they hear the word, they see the miracles, they, they understand the word, they understand what Paul is saying, but they reject it. Okay, and, and they respond to the message with anger. These are the people who, uh, uh try to kill Paul. Okay, and so there's some of the people, that's their reaction to the gospel, to, to be angry about it. And then there's a third category, which is kind of an interesting one. Uh, they hear Paul's preaching, they see his miracles, but they misunderstand the preaching, even though they believe that Paul is who he says he is. And that results in a false worship. Rather than worshiping God, uh, uh, those people try to worship, uh, try to worship Paul, uh, and Barnabas. So there are three different possible ways, uh, to, to respond to, uh, the bringing of the gospel, uh, in the cities, in, in, uh, Iconium and in Lystra. So let me now, if you have the text there in front of you, I would encourage you to, to have your Bibles open or if you have it in the bulletin, uh, to, to be reading along with me. I just want to go down through the text again, um, and, and, uh, lift up a few, uh, important points. So we begin in chapter 14, verse one. Paul and Barnabas went to the city of Iconium. As they did in Antioch, they entered the Jewish synagogue. Okay. So this is a pattern that's going to be repeated. Uh, well, uh, it's repeated uh, throughout all of these missionary journeys, that the message first comes to the people of God. The the gospel, first and foremost, is to the people who are in the covenant community. Now, for us, that's the church. The gospel is primarily for the church. The gospel is proclaimed every week in churches uh, around the world, and most of the people who are hearing that gospel are people who are part of the covenant community. They're either born-again believers, or they're children of born-again believers. So they're already people who have a relationship with God. And so the message of the gospel is uh, comes to those people first, okay? And so first and foremost. Now, in that community, uh, in that worshiping community, there are also people who are not part of the covenant yet, okay? So every Sunday in church, I always assume that some of the people who are in the pews are not yet part of the family of God, okay? Maybe they're related to someone who's in the family of God. Maybe they're interested in the church and in Jesus, but they themselves have not been grafted in to the family of God. And so the gospel's for them too. So the gospel is first to... uh members of of the household of God, but it's also to the rest of the world. Reading on, they spoke to the people there. They spoke so well that many Jews and Greeks believed what they said, but some of the Jews did not believe. They said things that caused the non-Jewish people to be angry and to turn against the believers. Okay, 
already at the beginning, we're seeing uh, a division of ways of response to the proclaimed gospel. Uh, you know, oftentimes after uh, a worship service, people will greet me uh, at the back of the sanctuary or uh, out in the hallway, and they'll have a comment about the sermon. And I'm always very interested in how people hear and and receive the preached word. I never can predict uh, how people are going to respond. But I think one thing is, that's important for all of you to understand is that people's reaction to the proclaimed word um, is very individual and is very different. And your reaction to a sermon uh, can be very different from someone else who's sitting in the same pew with you. There will be Sunday mornings when you'll be in church, and that sermon may not speak to you. That sermon may not strike home for you, but there will be other people in the gathered community that day that that word was for. And so we need to be very, very careful uh, uh, in uh, keeping open the possibility that God is working in different people's lives uh, in different ways. The, re- the response to the uh, to the proclaimed word is very individual, and when I'm when I hear people comment to me about um, about the sermon, I mostly view it as a Rorschach test. That that their reaction is saying more about where they are at this moment than about you know the content of my sermon. Okay, so I just want to offer that out there. So reading in verse 3, so Paul and Barnabas stayed in Iconium a long time, and they spoke bravely for the Lord. So I I wish I knew how long they were there. Was it a month? Was it six months? I mean, these, these are people who lived on a much slower schedule than we, than we lived on, um, than we live on. When Paul, uh, went to uh, Corinth, he was there two years of preaching the gospel. So Paul and Barnabas are in this place a long time. They're not a fly by night, uh, you know, evangelism circus. Um, they're committed to these people and they're sticking with them. And they're preaching on a regular basis, and they're meeting with them between uh, times of preaching. Um, and and what the scriptures say is is that they spoke bravely for the Lord. I hear two things in that phrase: they spoke bravely for the Lord. One is that they spoke for the Lord. They did not speak for themselves. They spoke for the Lord. All right. The in in some way the preacher becomes invisible. And when Paul and Barnabas are doing a good job, people see the Lord. They don't see Paul and Barnabas. When Paul and Barnabas are totally successful as evangelists, they're not even noticed, but they're speaking for the Lord. So one thing to indicate. The second thing is is that that kind of speaking uh, requires courage. They spoke bravely. Well, why does the scripture say that? Well, because it was the kind of speaking that, created danger. The people who were preaching were in danger. Now, in, in this case, they actually uh, are physically attacked. Uh, they, they're they uh, at risk of, of dying. All right. And yet the proclamation goes, the proclamation goes on. I just want to say more generally, you know, we, we live in a very safe country. We live in a country that is uh, where we're able to worship freely, where nobody gives us a hard time. 
uh, about what we believe or what we declare. Um, but even in a safe environment like this country, there is a courage that's required to proclaim Christ. Because there are people who will mock us or disregard us uh, or disrespect us or walk away from us. And that is hurtful to us, you know, in a psychological way. We're not in, we're not in danger of being stoned in this country, thanks be to God. Um, but I do believe that the proclamation of the gospel always requires a certain amount of courage. They told the people about God's grace. Now, in what we are reading in Acts chapter 14, we don't have uh, the text of Paul's sermon again, but in that one sentence, they told the people about God's grace. That's the summary of his preaching. That's the core of the gospel. That's what the gospel is primarily about. The gospel is primarily about God's grace. Okay, now, what do we mean by grace? Grace, the word simply means a gift. Um, and so when we talk about God's gift to us, we're talking about something that God does for us, gives to us, rather than something that we do for ourselves. Traditionally, we distinguish grace from law. Law is what we do. It's how we behave. Um, there are times when it is appropriate for the church to preach about the law, about how we need to be behaving, what we should be doing with our lives. God does care about how we behave. But the core of the gospel is not the law. The core of the gospel is the grace, what God does for us. The law reveals to us our need for grace. The law reveals to us uh, that we are unable to be right with God by ourselves. Uh, and so there has to be some proclamation of the law but the payoff in Christian preaching is always the grace of God. And then moving on, the Lord proved that what they said was true by causing miraculous signs and wonders to be done through them. Okay, so throughout the New Testament, there are signs and wonders uh, that accompany the preaching of the gospel. This also happened during uh, Jesus' time. Uh, it's important to recognize that the signs point to the word. Okay. The, the purpose of the miracle, uh, is not so that a bunch of people will be healed and, and that there'll be no more disease anymore. Okay. The purpose of the miracle is to get people's attention to listen to the word, to prove that something supernatural is going on here. Paul and Barnabas are preaching, 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 preaching. And then they're, a little later, they're going to do this. You'll see the, the, the big sign that they do uh, in Lystra. Apparently, they were also doing signs in Iconium. The signs alerted people in the neighborhood, okay, these are not just regular people. Something else is going on here. Now, we live in a different era. Uh, God continues to perform miracles, um, but uh, God does not rely upon uh, miracles to confirm uh, the preaching of his word. What we have uh, in, in our era is uh, the scripture, which we receive as the word of God. Um, and, and we receive that as, as being true and authoritative. Paul and Barnabas, uh, they have no new Testament. They're, they're creating the new Testament. And so their authority and the veracity of what they're 
preaching is being verified by these signs uh, and wonders. The, the signs always point to the word. The prophet is always pointing to Christ. Verse 4, but some of the people in the city agreed with the Jews and did not believe Paul and Barnabas. Others followed the apostles. The city was divided. Okay, folks, this is what the gospel does. Uh, you know, we can talk about unity in the church, um, but we need to recognize that the gospel divides. And, and I don't know how else to say it. Okay, and so uh, in the church, we need to be unified around the word of God. Uh, uh, our uh, loyalty to the word of God is what distinguishes us from the external world. The church is separated from the external world. Our job in the world is to bless the world and to care for the world, but we are not of the world. We're in the world, and we're not of the world. The gospel will divide. Verse 5, some of the Jews there, as well as their leaders, some of and the some of the non-Jewish people were determined to hurt Paul and Barnabas. They wanted to stone them to death. So you got you have to think about this for a second. What could somebody say to you that would make you so angry that you would want to kill that person? I mean, we've come through a really rugged political season this past year and the rhetoric on both sides has been so extremely high and uh it almost seemed like people were willing to kill each other over what they were saying think about what's going on here in the proclamation of Paul and Barnabas that would make somebody want to kill somebody else now we talked a little bit about this last week uh where the where the scripture talks about the jealousy of the people uh, in their response to the word of God. These are people who understand what Paul is saying. They get it. They know what Paul is saying. It's not that they're, they're missing the point. They understand it, but they reject it. And the reason that they're rejecting it is because if this gospel is true, then they lose power. They lose control in the world. What they're jealous for is power and control in the world. Under the old system, under the system of the synagogue, under the system of the law, they knew how to operate and they liked and enjoyed the power that they gave them. All of a sudden, we're hearing a message about God's grace and now the power has slipped away from my hands. It's gone someplace else. It is always over these fights about power that people become so insanely nasty in the church, in the community. Here uh, in the scriptures, we see it. People are jealous for power. They want to maintain power, and that's when they are at each other's throats. Okay, They wanted to stone them. Verse 6, when Paul and Barnabas learned about this, they left the city. They went to Lystra and Derbe, cities in uh, Lycaonia, and to the surrounding areas. They told the good news there, too. Verse 8, in Lystra, there was a man who had something wrong with his feet. He had been born crippled. He had never walked. He was sitting and listening to Paul. Paul looked straight at him and saw that the man believed God could heal him. So Paul shouted, stand up on your feet. 
And the man jumped up and began walking around. Now, so this is, this is the sign. Paul has performed a sign. Um, and, um, the, the sign, the, the purpose of this sign is to, uh, highlight and bring attention to what Paul, Paul is preaching. Now, I suppose as well, Paul could have been motivated by his sympathy and his compassion for this man, but the, the primary purpose here, uh, is to make the word of God, uh, fly and ring true. Paul is not a traveling healer. Paul is not a traveling physician. Paul is a traveling evangelist. He's bringing uh, the word. So the the concern here is is that we need to make sure that the sign is always directing us to the word. Sometimes people see the sign and they're attracted to the sign. And this is exactly what happens. In the next section, uh, let me read verse 11. When the people saw what Paul did, they shouted in their own Lycaonian language. They said the gods have come down to us in the form of humans. All right. Couple things to note here is, is that Paul doesn't speak this language. And so Paul has healed this man. He's preaching to them in Greek, which would have been the international language. They know Greek, but when they see what he's done, they start speaking in their own local language. It sounds like gibberish to Paul. They, Paul doesn't realize what's going on. They, they think that Paul and Barnabas are gods, that Paul is Zeus, or that, that uh, Barnabas is Zeus and that Paul is Hermes. And uh, there's, a, there's a commotion going on. It's not a commotion like the other commotion that was going to kill them. This is actually a commotion where these people uh, want to worship Paul and Barnabas. And down in for, verse 14, when the apostles Paul and Barnabas understood what the people were doing, they tore their own clothes. Finally, it dawns on them, uh-oh, something is wrong here. People are looking at us as though this is about us rather than about our message. People are looking at us and seeing the, the miracles that are being performed and thinking that, uh, that we're something special rather than that sign pointing us to Almighty God. There are times when people in the Christian world are distracted by miracles and by signs, and they're attracted by them, and, and they have an idolatrous relationship to the sign. Okay, the sign is always directing us to the Word and and to God, and not and not to the person who has performed the miracle, or not to the miracle itself. You might want to think about other things that um, are if not supernatural, but that are wondrous that happen in the life of the church that can also distract us. Superstar preachers who preach so uh, stunningly that people are like awed and wowed by the preaching rather than by the message that the preaching is supposed to lead us to. There's always this danger that we are focused on the object rather than what the object is pointing to. And we call that, we call that idolatry. Okay. And so th- there's always the possibility of idolatry within the life of the church. Now this is a bunch of pagans. They're, they're interpreting Paul and Barnabas in terms of their, uh, uh, their, their pagan, uh, 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 ideas. Let me, uh, I see that my time is running out here. Let me just press down to verse 15. Men, why are you doing this? We are not gods. We are humans just like you. We came to tell you the good news. We are telling you to turn away from these worthless things. The problem with paganism, the problem with secularism, is that it is 
makes as its primary uh, value, its primary goals, things which are not primary. It takes as its ultimate concerns things which are not ultimate. Okay, uh, paganism, you know, worships the earth or worships the sun, which are wonderful and beautiful, but they're not ultimate. The revealed religion of scripture is about a God who is outside of the universe. And when we are attracted to and worship the universe, we're not seeing the God who is behind the universe. The worthless things, maybe that's a little too strong. Um, There are certainly things that are passing away. Okay. Uh, Hermes and Zeus are, are, are gods with a little g. They are actually part of the universe. They live on Mount Olympus. Uh, they're only different from humans in kind rather, uh, in degree, not in kind. Um, but what I would like us to think about are what are the worthless things that churches get sucked into? What are things that are, maybe they're important, maybe they're good, but they're not ultimately good. And if we make them our ultimate good, we're then distracted from God. I think sometimes uh, churches can fall victim to self-help psychology. We want to feel better about ourselves. We want our, our, our marriages to be better adjusted. And the teaching of the church ends up becoming a pop psychology. I'm not saying that the pop psychology is worthless. It's just not ultimately worthy. It isn't God. I think there is the same uh, danger in the name it and claim it health and wealth theology. You know, Jesus wants you to be rich theology. It's like, well, being rich can be a blessing and being healthy can be a blessing. But, you know, the things of this world are passing away. Our bodies will die. And if you have a pink Cadillac, it will one day end up in the trash heap. Okay. And so if that ends up being our focus, then we're in an idolatrous relationship. I think political activism can be an idolatry within the life of the church. The political sphere is important. I think we need to act as Christian citizens in the world. But if that becomes the most important thing for us, if that becomes a thing that we break fellowship with each other over, then we are idolaters. Let's just be clear about that. If our politics is above uh, our worship of Jesus Christ, we are idolaters. All right. So I think in every time and every place, there is always this danger of looking at things which may be important, but not things that are ultimately important. And so Paul is mortified by this. He's tearing his clothes. This is a Jewish way of like expressing extreme grief and outrage over blasphemy. Um, he tears his clothes because these people are looking at him rather than looking at Christ. I see my time is out, so let me just remind you very quickly of, of what the gospel teaches us. The gospel teaches us that this entire universe was made by a God who's not part of this universe. This entire universe was under God's law. We're part of this universe. We have failed that law. And because we failed God's law, we uh, are under God's judgment. God knows that we cannot satisfy his law by ourselves. And so he sent a savior to us, Jesus, who lived a perfect life and who died a death that is an atonement for our sins. 
If we believe in Jesus, if we claim him as our Savior, then our sins are forgiven and our relationship is restored with Jesus Christ. This world is passing away. Love it. Take care of it while you're here. Don't become too attached to it, though, because our uh, ultimate home is with Jesus in the New Jerusalem. And the only way uh, to go there is by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. My, I would encourage you to do that today if you've never done it. So let us pray. Father God, we pray that you would seal to us the words of your scripture. We pray that you would uh, let us uh, be people whose eyes are focused on you and not the things of this world which are passing away. We pray that you would uh, care for us. We pray for those who were unable to participate in this service this day. We pray that the fellowship of the Spirit would be genuine with them. Lord, I would ask that you would encourage each one of us to be reaching out to other members in in, in uh, our uh, fellowship, uh, to be reaching out to them and loving them and caring for them, even in this time of in this time of separation. Lord God, we were going to celebrate communion this uh, this morning. Uh, we're not able to because we're not able to be uh, physically present with uh, one another. But I I just ask that you would uh, give us a strong sense of of the uh, of the fellowship of all of the saints that we are one body of Christ uh in this zoom call and around the globe that your body is large and growing and robust and that you are the head of the church lord jesus make us ready to see you one day soon uh, and all glory and honor be to your name alone these things we pray in jesus name amen 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 <clears throat> all right we have